This is exactly right. Fourth of July. Hello. <laughs> Wait, let's start over. It's not Fourth of July anymore. So. Oh, oh. Happy Fifth of July. <laughs> it's not the fifth. It's the sixth. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to my favorite murder. Hi, welcome. Thanks for coming. That's Karen Kilgarrett. <laughs> Why do we always start it with like? It's super uncomfortable. Yeah. We've gone over this a million yeah. times. We're staring at each other. For Maybe many that's part seconds, of it. We waiting. just stare at each other. Yeah, to see who's going to go first. And then the fakest voices yeah. that we have to offer come out of our heads. And then we ask to start over. Um, but we don't. And we never plan anything. I mean, what? What are they going to plan? What are you going to plan? I mean, we have an ending. What more do you want? Who cares anyway? Yeah. Of all the things, have you seen that picture, the newest pictures that have come back from the Hubble telescope that show the galaxies? They're purple. They did it basically. It's like black background. Um, They did purple were the galaxies Mm -hmm. in the picture Mm -hmm. and orange was the gas, the different things of gas that make stars. And it, it, like, there's a countless number of galaxies in this photo. You're giving me an anxiety attack. Right I'm now. just saying, who cares what we, oh, how we yeah. start this podcast? Dude, it, we're stardust. Dude, did or made us start? I, we really, I can't even start to think about it. Wait, I, that is it the the um, vastness of space gives you anxiety? The vastness of space, the reality of life. What is it? What are we? Are we're aliens? Clearly, I mean, everyone is. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not. I'm actually Irish, <laughs> which is worse <laughs> and harder. Um, there's, you know, that podcast we love, Mysteries Abound, yes. that we go to sleep to. The like the last episode is like, are are humans actually aliens? And it's like, yes. I, I got so into that episode that when I landed, when I went to. Petaluma for Father's Day when I landed and Lauren Adrian came and picked me up I got into the car and was like so the thing is that there's a really good chance we're all aliens I said that to Vince too and he was <laughs> and I explained it very poorly he was like I don't know yeah I don't and then um then I turned to him and one night when Elvis was sitting on me and I said do you think cats are aliens and he was just like <laughs> no I am no, I, I am the weird one in the relationship he is the like uh, what's it called? He's the voice of reason. Yes. That. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, mm-hmm. there's a reason we can never think of the word trophy. And I would like to say, oh. I would like to take responsibility for it. Cause I think every time it's happened, it's been in my story where we so can't. Like a, a serial killer takes trophies. Yeah. They take a thing, they keep it so they can look at it and remember the bad thing they did. That's called a trophy. Okay. But it's all, the word memento, which is what we use. This is the fucking same word. Yeah. But I guess, I guess the most often yes. ter- used term and the ones that people tweet to us in all caps with 17 <laughs> uh, exclamation points after uh-huh. is trophy. Yeah. Um, so maybe here in the podcasting loft, which we finally moved into and everyone, I, are you going to ever tweet picture or uh, put pictures on Instagram? Yeah. I, I just like didn't feel like it was done yet, but I should just post it. It's so good. You guys, all of the 
awesome um, art you sent us and dolls you've made us and pictures and everything Georgia has arranged in her loft obsessively and it it, it looks so cool it's super fun uh, I'll to put record it up in. on um, social media but there's like things I want to frame still and things I need to put up here and there but I'll post it for now and there's also a drawing of a let's sit crooked and talk straight yes drawing and I thought it was so funny when I hung it crooked yes uh, well I saw it immediately and it made me laugh it's driving me crazy like as a, <laughs> a, as a fucking OCD person <laughs> but it's got a point there's a reason it's there's that way reason I don't need to download the um, app that is a measure a leveler Ooh, they have that I fucking have that dude dude you can have an app for anything I know Man, when the grid goes down, we're going to... We're screwed we're beyond sh- belief. Nothing will be straightened. No frames will be straight. And there, you won't know, even if there are like landlines, if they can get a hard line oh, in please. some way. Could you? Do you know even your own phone number anymore? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> do you know mine? No. no. I, ha- I Vince and I purposely memorized each other's, and I'm going to give it out right now. Okay, great. <laughs> please call us day or night. Do you know what I, like, I'm super prepared, trying to prepare for earthquakes, you know? And so I got, like, extra, this is boring. <laughs> <laughs> this is so boring. Nobody cares. Right as I take a huge sip of Diet Coke, thinking you're going to cover for at least 30 seconds. No. <laughs> what, preparing for earthquakes is necessary and a reality in California. Yeah. But What'd you do? Buy some flashlights? Come on, zhuzh it up a little bit. I have bit. a flashlight. I have a external batteries in my car and in my <laughs> the hand crank kind. <laughs> no, no, no. For the phone, like, like that have a charge on them. Oh, oh, right. Listen, everyone, be prepared. Yeah, that's it's very important. Yeah, I have a like a. And I have an um, earthquake kit in my front closet. I have one too. But all I think of is, what if the, that's the part of the house that goes down? Dude, I have one in the <laughs> loft. And I'm like, clearly the loft is going to collapse. <laughs> what is it doing here? I stick flashlights under everything in my whole house. Smart. Um, and I've actually, when I bought my house, I had to sign a piece of paper declaring that I understood that my house is on land, that if there's a strong enough earthquake, <gasps> it turns to liquid and sinks into the earth. What? I will the- get my my own sinkhole which is as many people know one of my great passions of life is sinkholes well i have a question what kind of liquid are, liquid are we talking about because it's something fun like kool-aid then no. i'm like great <laughs> yes i have there's a kool-aid spring underneath my house um no it's because i'm near the quote-unquote la river uh you mean the one that's feet from my door Yes. Well, that goes right up kind of near my house if you go north. And um, that creates the water table is right, I guess, close to under my house. So basically, if the ground shakes, the the kind of silt or whatever Mm -mm. ground is Mm -mm. under my house Mm -mm. will just mix with the water, become like sand, quicksand. Goodbye. And goodbye. (laughs) And goodbye. And good night. So just things to... Skippers, <laughs> come back. Skippers, skippers, this is what you need to know the most. Skippers in places where there isn't and won't be earthquakes ever. <laughs> Hi. You never know, though. Do you think there's a geologist who listens? Is that an earthquake doctor? Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay. He's going to email us. So you are completely incorrect about all of this information. I signed paperwork. Listen. Um, speaking of, I'm not. Oh, experts. That's right. Uh, I have a uh, a letter, an email from a girl who. So I did the mainline murders, the fucking insane mainline murders last week. Yes. And the girl who was whose dad was involved in the case emailed us. Whoa. Okay. 
I was so excited when you covered the mainline murders in your last episode, as my dad was very closely involved in the case. He prosecuted Karen Reinhardt's lover, William Bradford, Patches. Patches, the professor? Yeah, for stealing from her estate. So the one thing he got in the beginning. Um, he described Bradfield as a master manipulator and a truly evil man, despite being a prosecutor for over 30 years and putting hundreds of murders behind bars, including billionaire murderer John DuPont. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait. Is that the foxcatcher fox guy? Mm-hmm. Hell yes. My dad says no case has ever affected him quite like this one. He's a father of four daughters, and he still tears up when he talks about the kids... Uh, the innocent children and the discovery of Karen's art museum pin on the floor of the car. And by the way, I accidentally called her Carol at the very end of it. And that's just horrible. You were off the page, though. You were just trying to talk. Yes. That's always a mistake. Um, <laughs> it's the mistake that we're, we're dedicated to making uh, on this podcast. Yes. Never apologize for, like, I just apologize. <laughs> um, so Patches and Principal Smith were co-conspirators, he thinks, and that um, Patches had agreed, I'm, re- I'm just calling them this, yeah. agreed to split Karen's life insurance money with P- Principal in exchange for killing Karen and her children. To this day, he's still heartbroken over the police mishandling the evidence that led to Jay Smith's conviction and being thrown out. Thank you guys so much, et cetera, et cetera. John Bonet, JFK. Thanks again. Stay sexy. Don't get murdered. Brianna. P.S. And Stephen said he asked. Can I read this, Stephen? Oh, no. You're going to be embarrassed. Stephen said. It's fine. I, I don't want to embarrass you. Says, say, say it and then we'll decide after. Okay. We can cut it out, Stephen. Uh, P.S. is Stephen Stingle. Nope. I said that wrong. <laughs> is Stephen stinky? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is totally. Stephen Single. Oh, yeah. so, sorry, Stephen. I'm going to take this one. Wait, can we say Stephen, that? You can cut this out. Obviously, you're in charge of this whole show. Um, Get everything out. (laughs) Well, there's got so many, so many listeners like this. Yeah. Inquiring minds. Mm. He's a cat guy, which lots of girls Mm -hmm. like. But don't mistake that for innocence or or any kind of uh, uh, don't mistake his kindness for gentleness. What is the saying? Don't. Don't mistake my weakness for kindness. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. I saw that one time on Tumblr. I dig it. This right, Stephen? This is going to be in my dating profile. <laughs> that whole clip of this <laughs> podcast. The whole thing can fit on Where a Where are you bio. going? Are you going to Tinder? Let everyone know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Okay. I think you should take it over uh, to, um, what's it called? Too Many Fish? The Christian t- dating site? Too Many Fish? Is that it? Isn't that Plenty of called? fish. Plenty yes. of fish. There are too many fish. I don't like fish, so I feel like there's too many <laughs> That's fish. That's true. Uh, yeah, Stephen, religion. That's really important to you. I mean, I am a Satanist, so. <laughs> <laughs> so bring that act over to Too Many Fish, and then... You can know, I make for a change of pace. Speaking of traveling, did Wait, I can I just say one thing yes, really quick? Please. At the end of that email, did she start calling the woman Karen because Karen was the daughter? Yeah. I now I know only because oh shit, somebody right. that has yeah, no, my no, name. No, no, no. She said the discovery of Karen's art museum pin at the floor of the car. So the kids, the kid, oh, little right. girl named no, no. Karen. Yeah. But then later on, um, yeah, you're right. She may have. No, you're right. She did. Fuck yeah! Not just me. Right. Okay. I just want to make sure. So the mo- I know I feel awful. The no. mother's no, this isn't right. Okay. Anyways, here we go. Well, just so just so they know we didn't do it. Yeah. Should we start? <laughs> 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 that was just a run through. Uh, I'm gonna say this: the Cle- the Cleveland Murderinos had a meetup. 
They sent us pictures. Mm. They sent us video. There's a bunch of them. Uh, they're a good-looking group. Mm -hmm. They were all in a bar. Enthusiastic. And a lot of people were tweeting just saying what a great group it was, how happy it Aww. made them to be a part of it. Other people were writing saying, hey, I didn't know. I wish I was yeah. there. And they they ended up collecting $500 for <gasps> End the Backlog. That is amazing. Which is so cool. Yeah. So thank you guys so much. And congratulations and way to go because that really makes a difference. That's lovely. Yeah, that's nice. nice. Des Moines. Sorry. <laughs> Des Moines Sorry, singular. guys. <laughs> Sorry for talking shit. I actually have no idea what it's like there, but apparently it's lovely. Uh, yeah, I think Iowa's like yeah. a, a great place. And to I think live. there was an Iowa meetup too where they went and saw Despicable Me together. <laughs> And sent us a photo, and I'm like, "What? That's cool. Yeah, like, you don't have to make a bunch of cocktails with like funny names. You can just go watch a movie. That's so good. I there was a somebody sent. I can't tell if he it was the person that sent it was wearing the sweatshirt because he kind of looked like a model, or if it was just showing the picture of a sweatshirt. But you can get a sweatshirt that says Des Moines D U H. Like oh. it's basically sm spelled phonetically, oh, but yeah. also Des Moines, Des Moines, which made me laugh really hard. Yeah. Well. So we're, you know, guess we're going to Des Moines. Yeah. No, we're not. We're on each other's radar. We might. Yeah. We're going to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of traveling, Stephen is coming with us to Australia. That's right. Everyone. I don't think we've announced that yet. So don't look. So, um, okay. There's a friend of a friend of Vince, this girl named Sarah A. And she's a leather worker. And she um, sent us some handmade. <gasps> um uh, what are they called? Passport, Passport. Oh covers, gosh. covers in leather. Smell that. It's like, <laughs> ooh, and they really, say SSDGM. And on they say them. SSDGM. <laughs> and her name, her uh, Martine is the name of the company. It's M A R T I N E. Ooh, so they're with a really big rabbit head. Big, is this is the symbol? It's like, oh my gosh. classy, like the classiest thing Martine. I've ever had SSDGM gorgeous and cool I know isn't that fun thanks um, Sarah Sarah I was going to call Sarah. her Martine thank yeah. you so much oh this gosh. is we're all going to be matchy matchy yeah, I we know are. we're going to just walk through security just like yeah and they're like oh upgrade them I'm going to hold mine <gasps> like a, like those FBI agents did yeah, when they cover flip your face. their thing open you uh, learn how to flip your thing open with one hand. Do you have... I don't, I'm taking over this thing. Oh, can I say one more thing about Murderina? So yes. on Instagram, they're having, I guess, a thing called the lettering challenge, which I didn't know was a thing. <laughs> it's all these people who are like written to calligraphy and like write and like lettering, I right. guess, is a thing. And so they're having a My Favorite Murder lettering challenge. I guess there's like a whole... It's a whole community. They have challenges for like the month. And so they're, it's hashtag letter MFM. And I think I found my... The girl who was going to design my tattoo my my favorite murder tattoo oh that's it. great so do you want to get one with me or should i surprise you that is so fucking weird why i had a dream the other night that everyone in my family was getting a tattoo <gasps> together and i was in the dream i was like really aunt mary <laughs> like in your mid-70s <laughs> like i was just looking around at my family like and you know what we were getting a tattoo of hmm. some toes <laughs> What does that mean? I don't know. I'll look it up. But uh, yes, I'll get a tattoo with you. Should we get one together? Yes. Okay. Can I, I want to get mine all across my one haunch. Just, <laughs> haunch. just my whole hip. Front to back. I think I'm going to get mine like, what's this called? Under ribs? my ar armpit, side of my body, ribs. I love it. And then I'm going to get a SSDGM and this chick who does calligraphy really well, who I'll shout out when I get the tattoo. 
I'm gonna have I'm having her design something. Maybe I'll get it on my neck. Are you serious? No. <laughs> my um I used to know a guy that used to call neck tattoos job stoppers. Yeah, they have that in hand tattoos. <laughs> but I don't it. think that's true anymore. Because yeah. how many chefs do you see yeah. with neck tattoos or like podcasters? I mean, people who are tatted up who are like, yeah, m- fuck you. I run my yeah. entire company. I have a face tattoo. Deal yeah. with it. Get it. And, and I make more money than you and your dad. Come on. My own boss. Too bad. Your dad needs. To, okay. Um, do you know my dad is driving Lyft now and he said, I keep wondering if all these young girls who get in my car are murderinos. <laughs> it sounded like he was going to kill them at first. Didn't it? Yeah, he has to be careful with how he brings that up. Yeah, so if you see Marty picking up on Lyft. Marty. Marty. I think that's all. It's all for you. Let me see. I think Stephen has. I was going to say. Oh yeah. Here's a little. A there's a little fun thing for for us based on last week's uh, story on your uh, story, Karen. It, I know it's July right now, but I think it's never too early for okay. us. Okay. All right. What is it? <gasps> the Andy Williams Christmas special. Holy oh shit! My Claudine Langer's first God. husband. And this was the one that like. Was it was it that it was this is the highest ranking television show uh, before he got knocked out by some Super Bowls? Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. This is this is the classics. This is when we <laughs> spend a weekend watching this. Yep. That is amazing. Do we save it for Christmas? Just to <laughs> no. get in the mood? Okay. A July Christmas special yeah. event. Yeah. Thank you so much. Wait, someone sent it to us, or did no, you get it? No, I got it. Yeah, oh, Steven. Steven. Really good gift giving. You're now invited to watch it with us. <laughs> um, yeah, you just qualified. I'm the only one that didn't bring presents for everybody. Well, I didn't Shit. fucking buy these. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh, she fuck c- you then. <laughs> <laughs> she sent them to us oh, on her own accord. Oh, I thought you would like... Oh, no, no, no. A friend of Vince's does this thing, so she sent us these lovely oh, things. So nice. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm glad I clarified that. <laughs> I didn't want to take responsibility for her. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, I'm guilty. No, I wouldn't buy us anything. <laughs> Ever? We have everything we need. Ever? We have a sink whole house. We I mean, have a cat podcast. What more do we need? Oh, yeah. That's Not all we, we need. But, you know. Um, we are blessed, truly blessed, truly, truly, truly. Okay, it's me this week, right? Yeah, yes, I knew. Now you know. Steven's not fucking paying attention. Steven oh, isn't trying to look up who went first. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely went first. Yeah, yes, because yeah. now we're all back. We're all like, we're all on it again. What's a bummer though, and I think that we have this often, is that mine is a real bummer at the end, and I don't, I hate closing with a real bummer. Just, yeah, but then we um, have something positive. That's why we have yeah, a positive. That's thing. why we turn it hard. We yeah. take a hard left into positive land. Yeah, people don't like when murder podcasts are a real bummer. They don't? No, they do. Yeah, that's the whole point. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient. Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. 
What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Um, okay. Mine is, uh, it's hard sometimes as we've talked mm. about to get for me to get my homework done no it's yeah and especially when i will work on something for a while and then if i have a friend who goes have you ever heard of this one i will switch immediately and go do my friend i switch i switch you know you're halfway done it's not like you're just reading about it no i switch all the time yeah and and so many of these stories because you know you guys are just as into true crime if not more than either of us so oftentimes you feel like i'm only telling a third of this story i know there's so much more i should have read an entire book about this whatever that's what other people do um so sometimes i'll bail just because i know a story has much more to it and yeah. I should invest more time. You're not going to give it just do it justice. Right. Exactly. Someone else already has, but this one was so juicy and I loved it so much. Um, uh, my friend Bridger is the one who told me about it. He's a hilarious, uh, he's, he's very famous on Twitter and he's a great, uh, writer and he, uh, grew up in Utah. Um, so he was like, have you ever heard of this one? And I had never heard anything about it Mm. turns out there's a forensic files there's lots of stuff there's um an amazing book um but anyway i'll just give you i'll give you what i know so we're at salt we're in salt lake city okay what's this is there called is it called anything i'm not going to call it anything because i usually do that and then i end up giving it away yes i totally understand okay so we're in Salt Lake City the morning of October 15th, 1985. Okay. Um, and a man named Steve Christensen, who is a businessman, a husband, a father of four, and a bishop of the Mormon church, he arrives at his office on the sixth floor of the judge building in downtown Salt Lake City. Uh, one time I did a story, 
and it was that horrible one yeah. about the woman throwing her kids off the top of oh, the hotel in Utah in Salt Lake City even right and in that Ugh. I threw out the the random idea that it was a very uh because you know all of Utah I assume is very Mormon mm-hmm. that Salt Lake City would be a conservative town mm-hmm. well I was couldn't have been more wrong about that. <laughs> Would like to say now I now know because of making that mistake that actually Salt Lake City is the like liberal part of Utah and it's a college town and it's the hip place and hmm. it's probably best case scenario. And if you're looking for, I don't know, a great shirt or um, really cool flats, I'm not. I don't know. Um, so. Steve Christensen gets to his office. He sees a brown wrapped box shaped package in front of his office door and his name's written on top of it. He picks it up and it immediately, immediately explodes. Oh, fuck here. I thought it was something else. And this is fucking let's do this. Yeah. So it was a pipe bomb. Um, Steve is killed. Um, The Department of Alcohol, Tobacco and Fire. Yeah, it's it was a pipe bomb that was made with. Um, concrete nails were inside and concrete nails are the nails you use to pound in they're not made of concrete Mm. they're the really strong industrial sized nails that you pound into Mm. concrete so the person that made this pipe bomb wanted the person who picked it up to be killed wow what a bummer yeah Um, so the ATF officers arrive they begin to piece the bomb back together to figure out that it's a pipe bomb um, and that was activated by a mercury switch that would go off when the package was picked up and oh. tilted one way or the other. So, so the minute the mercury like shifts, exactly, it's in a little glass circuit, uh-huh. and if it in it is laying on one side of this little glass thing, and then when you pick it up, if you put it and <gasps> chip it one way or the other, the circuit connects, and that's when the bomb explodes. Wow! So they know from a bomb like that that the person. Um, that the bomber dropped that box off because they would have to make sure yeah. it stays exactly the way it is. And they couldn't mail it. Yeah, you can't just give it to somebody else. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, also inside the bomb were Tandy brand batteries, which is, as many RC enthusiasts mm. know, <laughs> Tandy is the Radio Shack brand of uh, batteries. Really? Uh-huh. Um, so... They start going around to lo- the local radio shacks trying to find out who's bought batteries there in the, you know, the past week or whatever. Mm-hmm. They also um, find out that Steve Christensen had recently worked at a financial company called CFS, which after doing huge business in the 70s and the early 80s, had started losing money and was in serious trouble. So this is the part that I actually found really interesting because so... The 80s were like a time of big money. That's mm-hmm. when everybody pretended to be rich and preppies. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was like Coke. very Izod Coke time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently Salt Lake City in that time was a hotbed for financial fraud. Really? Yeah. So what people would do, con men would go to Salt Lake City and they would kind of like get get into the Mormon church. They would either pretend they were Mormons mm. or they would befriend higher ups in the Mormon church. Um, and then when they would do business, they would say, like say they were in securities mm-hmm. or whatever stocks bonds. They like, I got a ground floor fucking thing to get in on. Exactly. And then the elders or whoever in the church would be like, oh, this guy yeah. is, is trustworthy. <gasps> and so then all the parishioners or Mormons, I'm not sure what you call uh, the general word for it, but all the 
people in that church would then trust that person and buy into whatever thing that that person was bringing to the table, whether it was high finance or also very popular, a pyramid scheme vitamin sales got to be very popular. What the fuck? Back then. Yeah. So it was kind of an ant. There was lots of Amway, yeah. low grade Amway um, kind of bullshit going on. Did where they it was get like- the vitamins? <laughs> Did they ever get the vitamins? Did they ever get the vitamins they needed? I don't know. But it was a, it, it was a kind of thing. They call it... A, um, affinity fraud and it happens in lots of different wow. different kinds of religions this is why my money is under my bed right you, and trust no one yeah um it's the same it's the the assumption that quote unquote one of your own is going to look out for your right. best interest as opposed to an outsider oh, so, i don't trust anyone do you no i'm i'm scared of my fucking cousin is a financial whatever the fuck and i like i'm scared <laughs> Sorry, well because it's it's so um anyone can tell you anything and if you don't know exactly what's going on you you it's a hundred percent pure trust yeah and if people are that into money like they're into money and they want it yeah exactly I'm not, okay well um so it's the same thing bernie madoff did yeah uh to uh he got 20 billion dollars as you well know watching that documentary oh, so good. um from wealthy jewish people a guy named alan stanford did it to southern baptists wow. um he had a seven million or seven billion dollar <gasps> empire that fell um there was even a con man named monroe l beachy who became a trusted within the amish community and he went to prison for orchestrating a scheme that defrauded 2,700 investors, many oh of them my. his friends and neighbors. What a dick. So it's just a very common practice yeah. of like this idea that your uh, religion would would stand for your good morals and that, that therefore the business is a trustworthy it's one. It's almost a worse con than just, you know, clients because, yeah, these people are trusting because they... Because if you're in that religion, it's because you believe the same things they do. You have the same morals. They're they're t- they're going right on the inside. Yeah. You know, they're not just standing out and like rolling the dice that maybe you'll yeah. believe them and maybe not. They're they're asking you. They're playing on your ultimate faith. Yeah. Um, which is very ugly. And and um, in the Mormon religion, it, it was the kind of thing where they're. Uh, I believe a lot. I know lots of mormons i've grown up i grew up with mormons um one of my good friends that i used to work with betsy is a mormon and you know it's it's a very um moralistic they the life they live is really the the whole idea of it is that you live this life based on your faith so it's like my friend just said it the other day he's like mormons really walk the walk yeah so it's not just and I may, maybe I'm only saying this because of all those like design websites that you see these days. And when you trace them back, it's like a young Mormon family, yeah. but it's like the most beautiful, you know, table setting yeah. and the cutest design. Yeah. And it's like, here's a great thing for your baby. I've heard so many bloggers, like famous bloggers or like the big ones that have beautiful websites are Mormon for some reason. Yeah. Because it's kind of like it's the, the whole idea of like home building yeah. and like putting the best into your home. Right. And being ambitious and always having something anyways yeah yeah yes. i mean these are insane generalizations yeah. obviously we're not speaking for every single person that's in the religion but there is just yes, there's something are. to that <laughs> there's something to that um where there's a there is a there seems to be an innocence that that in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. con men were like oh we can exploit this this community this sense of community that Definitely. they have um <clears throat> okay 
two hours after Steve Christensen's attack, there's another bombing <gasps> at the home of Gary and Kathy Sheets. Gary Sheets was Steve Christensen's boss at CFS. And his wife, Kathy, was the one who picked up the package. It exploded in her hands and she was killed. Oh, my God. Have I never heard of this? I know. Um so now the police are thinking that these bombings are related to the failed CFS business dealings. And so it could be uh, retaliation yeah. from an old employee or even the mafia. Oh my God. Um, police talked to the Sheets 13 year old next door neighbor who saw a tan minivan pull into the Sheets driveway the night before around midnight and thought it was suspicious. But all he saw was the car. He didn't see anybody um, anybody get in or out mm -hmm. um but then they also talked to a jeweler who, who worked on the fifth floor of the judge building one floor below steve christensen's office mm -hmm. um his name is bruce passy and he tells the police that the morning the morning of the bombing um he got into the elevator with his father and there was a man standing in the elevator wearing a letterman jacket but with no letter on it hmm. and he was holding a brown like paper wrapped box that said to steve christensen on the top of it oh shit and so he um bruce passy describes this man to the police um saying he's a white male five foot eight medium brown hair um the next day there's a third bombing um, this time it's inside a car and the victim is seriously injured but he's not killed mm -hmm. it's 30 year old mark hoffman um he is rushed to the uh, hospital um, where he's in critical condition but he ends up being able to tell the police that he'd opened his car door and the package was sitting on the driver's seat with the action of opening the door it <gasps> fell off and exploded oh good so he didn't get the full impact right it. but he had a fingertip blown off uh, he had a huge um, wound in his knee where parts of the explosives went into Ooh. his kneecap like Ow. his knee area um, so he was he was pretty badly injured but this but immediately the police are suspicious because if he had his fingers blown off that doesn't that means that the box was in his hands mm -hmm. not on the seat mm -hmm. and and then tumbling to the ground mm -hmm. um also with the direction the guy in forensic files explains it really well but it's basically the way they know bombs explode and the directions yeah. they go if the thing was in his knee then he could not have been standing outside of the car he must have been inside of the car leaning over and so they basically reconstruct it i want to watch that i'm like trying to picture it in my head and like basically they with the trajectory of the stuff that yeah. flew out of the bomb which hit him they realize he must have been leaning over the center console holding the box <gasps> and basically inside the car so his story why would you lie about that yeah. why wouldn't you just tell him exactly i love when cops figure that out like this person killed themselves and it's like no the trajectory like yours last week the trajectory shows yes that that person couldn't have killed themselves and and that's the relatively new forensic yeah. part that's like what forensic files is all yeah, celebrating because it's like we you would never have known that until forensics comes in mm -hmm. and and is like hold up so the police search um mark hoffman's house and they find a letterman jacket just like the one that bruce passy said the guy in the elevator was wearing mm -hmm. and they also find they also see that he has a tan minivan oh shit and there's gunpowder that they find traces of around his house that match the brand used in all three bombings well there you go so 
Mark Hoffman maintains his innocence, says he's the victim, um, and he demands to take a lie detector test. And he does. They give him a lie detector test, and he passes with flying colors. Oh, shit. Yeah. So the police start looking into who this guy really is. So Mark Hoffman was born in Salt Lake City on December 7th, 1954, raised in a strict Mormon household. He was a mediocre student, um, but later he was tested to have an IQ of 169. Wow. Which is insanely high. That's one point over mine. (laughs) Um, I feel like in stories I've read, people who are like mad geniuses are usually in like the mid 130s to 140s. I was going to say that. Like, I feel like very, very, very fucking smart is like 130. I think so. But like then genius is like 160 something. And maybe. I like us trying to guess what genius IQ levels are <laughs> in the dumbest way we Well, can. I know when my brother was a kid with fucking attention issues they tested him and he had like one very high up there because it's like well he's just fucking bored yes that's why so yeah and yeah. i never i was not that smart <laughs> and i was never bored no i was always bored you're like I this was is fascinating just bored <laughs> not smart and bored um okay so he collected coins as a teenager and um when he was when he was young, uh, oh, that, that's a weird cut and paste. He collected <laughs> coins as a teenager, and uh, at some point, he forged a rare mint mark on a dime that was verified by an organization <gasps> of coin collectors to be genuine. And when he was a kid, he tricked the shit out of fucking professional coin people. Exactly. He got the, he got the uh, taste early of like you know. It's impressive. I think so too. Just don't kill people next. I mean. So in seven in 1973, he volunteered um, to spend two years in, as an LDS missionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he came back from his mission, which was in England, he enrolled as a pre-med major at Utah State University. Um, he married Dora Lee Old in 1979. They eventually have four children together. Um, uh, and she filed for divorce in 1987. Hmm. Um, so in 1980... Uh, Hoffman claims to have found a 17th century King James Bible with a document inside that um, he claimed to be the transcript uh, that Joseph Smith, who was the founder of the Latter-day Saints uh, Church, um, he had a scribe named Martin Harris and uh, was supposed to be a a transcript that Martin Harris brought to uh, a Columbia Classics professor in 1828 um, that was originally copied by Joseph Smith from the Golden Plates, um, which he, from which he translated the Book of Mormon. So I'm going to say this probably incorrectly, but the general idea of the founding of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is Joseph Smith found golden tablets that he dug up, and from those tablets, he wrote down mm-hmm. um, the tenets of the religion. Okay. Um, and a... a an angel appeared to him as he dug up those tablets to help him. Okay. Um, so basically he presents this document. They freak out cause they're like, they had never, it's a historical document from their church. They'd never seen before. And the, um, the church ends up buying it from Hoffman for $20,000. So this not only sets him uh, financially, but it also sets his reputation as a historical documents dealer. So, um, 
I wonder where he said he found it. Well, was it inside a King James Bible? So oh, he okay. So he was already um, trying to become like a uh, a historical book okay dealer. So one of the book okay one of, that makes sense. It was a really old. It was a 17th century King James Bible. Damn. So then it was like inside that. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, so uh, basically, he then starts um, for the next several years selling forged quote-unquote lost uh, LDS documents to the church. Um, the most notorious, notorious of which was the Salamander Letter in 1984. So he basically starts forging pieces of historical text and bringing them to the church and as, as a church member himself going, I found this, I found this. Now the church is... Part of it is like a little bit like, oh yeah, we need to we need to be owning these papers. Right. And sometimes he would donate them, and sometimes they would buy them from him. But essentially, it was it was text that they um, that was relevant to them knowing about their own religion yeah. and the and the founder of their own religion. So the one that is the most infamous is the Salamander letter, which basically said that when Joseph Smith dug up those tablets. It wasn't an angel that appeared to him, but a white salamander. Mm. Um, that uh, uh, so so that was such a change of the historical record. And they had never heard that before. They'd never heard oh. it before. It was super freaky, and it was kind of like they didn't know if they should announce it. It put them in a really weird position. Yeah, because suddenly it's 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 a very non-religious sounding and almost like a magical witchy yeah. sounding version of the story of how their church is founded right um that's a sal- salamander is kind of like not as cool as a snake is it a snake <laughs> no uh well but snakes are in the in like christian religion yeah. are evil right so there's but there's just something weird about it's an albino salamander like as opposed to an angel man i think you could have done better I, well a bear <laughs> an albino bear a blue bear a blue bear. um well it turned out he was actually forging all of these documents and he had lost his faith when he was a teenager like he went on his mission basically because he felt a lot of pressure from his family because he was raised in such a strict mormon household but he um he was trying to embarrass uh the church so he was writing these documents and changing these stories and basically adding in little inconsistencies and mistakes so that the church would kind of be scrambling and not knowing what their official approach should be well and he in and he was like a master forger because he had already um sold let's see this here's the list he'd forged unpublished poems by emily dickinson um <laughs> signatures <on> <laughs> signatures of mark twain a full handwritten letter uh supposedly written by betsy ross no um, he tricked the Library of Congress. He tricked Sotheby's. Wow. He sold signatures by George Washington, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, Daniel Boone, John Brown, Andrew Jackson, wow. Nathan Hale, John Hancock, Francis Scott Key, Abraham Lincoln, John Milton. Like, <laughs> Paul, wow, Paul this guy Revere. is so lucky. He just finds all this shit. Yeah. And makes a shit ton of money off of it. Um, 
There was somebody named Button Gwinnett. No, there wasn't. signature was the rarest and therefore the most valuable of any signer of the Declaration of Independence. The guy named Button signed the Declaration of Independence. Or girl. Oh, sure. (laughs) No No way. (laughs) But little Button Gwinnett got up there. Um, He also said he claimed to have discovered a famous document called the Oath of the Free Man, which um, is believed to be or you know, some say the precursor to the Declaration of Independence. Um, it's from the 1600s and it was worth over a million dollars. Oh my God. But this, they never knew it existed until he came. They along. knew it existed, but they didn't, oh. there were no copies of it in, in America. Okay. Um, uh, so he had claimed he found one and he was trying to sell that, but it was the sale of that was kind of held up because um, they were questioning its authenticity. Finally, someone's yeah. like, you know what we should do? Well, in this, it's funny because I think in the uh, forensic files, they start talking about how they, because it's within the church and the way he did it, he, he was a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. He was super smart. Um, so he knew how to do it where they would not, they didn't question the documents because of who he was and what right. he had already sold. Right. So it was like, well, if he sold something to the Library of Congress yeah. and Sotheby's and all these places. What then, are we going to, we're going to question him? Yeah. This guy's an expert and he's a Mormon. Shit. So get him all the way in on the inside. Um, but he also would buy really expensive things. So he was always broke, even though he would make big money on selling these forgeries. Mm-hmm. He would then buy like rare books and he was buying things so that he could then right. forge other things later. Right. I mean, it's very complicated. And there's a there's a book called um, The Poet and the Murderer by Simon Worrell. Mm-hmm. And that is tells the story of Mark Hoffman, but specifically from the view of him pretending to have discovered poems by Emily Dickinson and the public library in Amherst, Massachusetts, which is where she was from, collects money to buy these (gasps) heretofore unpublished lost Emily Dickinson poems that were fake. Um, Yeah. So he's, he's like a, he, he was like one of the greatest forgers or the, you know, most infamous forgers um, anyone had ever seen. Working it. Uh, he's doing it. So essentially what happened was he was trying to sell some new set of documents to the church. Steve Christensen mm. knew a little bit about um, an- antiquities mm-hmm. and old documents. And so he was questioning. He was like, I heard this guy is being uh, questioned about the oath of the freeman. They're, they're not even sure. Like he's under investigation. We need to look closer at these papers. Calling him out. Yeah. So what he did was he plants a bomb at Steve Christensen's office to kill him. Then he planted the other one at Gary Sheets house mm. to make it look like it had something to do with CFS mm-hmm. instead of anything to do with him. Shit, that's fucking tricky. Yeah. I mean, this guy is, you know, yeah, tricky. He's a trickster. Uh, he was eventually arrested in January of 1986, charged with a total of 27 counts, wow. including murder, forgery, possession of an unregistered machine gun, and fraud. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's a <laughs> literally Jesus Christ. Uh, and a salamander. So he. <laughs> 
albino salamander. Albino. You can't forget the albino part. I mean, the, all of their beliefs for hundreds of years are one thing. And then he gives them paper that's like, it turns out an albino salamander had a say. They're like, you know, an angel sounds cooler. So we're just going to stick with that. They're like, we now we need to have a really big meeting. And what if we have to start fucking praying to an albino salamander? I mean, would that ever even have been a choice? No. Uh, they say also, so he had like 600 forgeries that got sold and are in wow. the market where they're still finding them today. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah. So they're apparently, and he wrote a letter from jail explaining which things that he did were forgeries. Cause some things obviously right. when he started out, he kind of, there were valid ones. So, um, but he, they're saying that they're like, there's, um, some Daniel Boone, uh, uh, signatures out there um that are fake that like there's there's um because there were hardly any in the first place but then mark hoffman comes along and suddenly there's four that are in the marketplace which brings the value down right um and it turns out you know three of them aren't real do you think that his forgeries are now worth money a lot of money Mm. to murderino types yeah or like is there a forgers museum i'd go to that I would too. I mean, I think overall the historical signatures are going to be worth the most. Of course. Because but, they're like the, you know. But I feel like some there's got to be like the Smithsonian or some kind of thing that's just like, you know, it's look, history. Look at this rat bastard yeah, look in what, that department. Look what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think it's funny that he did it so much. And when you see the paper, like he would bake the paper in the oven. Yeah, I was going to ask. Burn like the a lighter. Edges. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like an on. old Western. Yeah. Um, all that. They found all this, you know, they found ink that he specifically mixed mm. to match. But then the when the, um, the guy who finally started investigating it forensically, he was like, the new ones all glow blue underneath a microscope mm-hmm. because they're new. Yeah. And so he was just really easily able to, once they knew, yeah. start investigating all of them and just be like, none of this is real. Yeah. I Sorry, bet. this letter from Betsy Ross. That's crazy. I bet he'd be good at the lettering challenge. <laughs> he might he, be. He's got to have good handwriting. He would add in. <laughs> he'd be like, I believe that this is a real. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I was going, but... Anyhow, he initially maintained his innocence, uh, but at a preliminary hearing, um, the prosecutors showed so much evidence of his forgeries and his debts um, and all of the evidence linking him to the bombs that instead of risking the death penalty, he pled guilty to two counts of second degree murder, a count of theft by deception Mm -hmm. for the salamander letter. an account of fraud for the sale of the McClellan collection was, which was that last collection he was trying to sell right. when Steve Christensen stepped in. Um, he confessed all of his forgeries in open court. Um, he was in January 1988. He was sentenced to five years to life in prison. He's spending life in prison. Five years. Uh, wow. Yeah. And he's still there. We can still there. Wow. Yeah. That's, That's Mark Hoffman, cool. everybody. I, I, first, I thought you were going like towards the Ted Kaczynski route when I heard about a bomb. But that's fucking crazy. I've never heard about that. Oh, to be killed by a bomb. Do you ever open envelopes and you're like, I don't know what this is going to be? Yes. Well, that's my moth's thing. I never think it's a mom, though. Um, a bomb, though. Well, I or used- a mom. <laughs> Just a mom coming to tell me to sweep up the kitchen. (laughs) Honey, do those dishes. Oh, what is that fear? They're just sitting there. You let them soak for too long. Yeah. 
You can't just let things soak in cold water, Karen. It's true. But also, this was the 80s when, like, this was back when you could walk into an office building with a plain package. I feel like, you know, as worrisome as it all sounds, we don't live in that world anymore. It's like, that was definitely a very pre-9-11 era. Yeah, except I, yeah. Yeah, but maybe not. You know what I mean? Well, you, I'm scared. I know, scared. I know. <laughs> you can be. Um, wow, that's fucked up. Good job. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks and good job. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. What, Thank you. Um, okay. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter her promo code space 80. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. I'm glad we were talking about the 80s and you explained kind of like the money stuff because mine takes place in the 80s too and has... A lot to do with class wars and all this stuff. Maybe, should I not tell you the name of it? Whatever you think. Because I think you'll know immediately about it. Okay. All right. I'm going to, yeah, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. All right. So New York, late 80s. It's insane. 
Um, Jim Dwyer of the New York Times calls it completely schizophrenic. They've got one side where there's just insane wealth from Wall Street. Everyone's getting fucking rich and doing coke and having eyes and such. <laughs> like we said, um, the financial industry industry is booming after a long period of stagnation. And it got so bad, like in the 70s and I think early 80s, that the city of New York was going to file for bankruptcy. <laughs> wow. Do you remember that? I didn't know that about New York City. They, the city was going to file for bankruptcy. But I mean, it really was so bad in the 70s and like the late 70s and yeah. the Carter administration where it was just like a recession huge recession like we've talked about before gas lines you couldn't yeah. get gas on certain days I mean the whole the whole country was going through this but New York City um, because they had so much violence and um, that sort of thing I feel like it was a lot worse and in fact um, so during the financial crisis of the 70s a ton of neighborhoods in Brooklyn and the Bronx, uh, the homeowners and the landlords were lighting the, the apartment buildings on fire and burning them to the ground just to collect insurance money. So all these people had nowhere to live and the name and they left them like that. So yeah. there are these, you know, looks like how you see how you saw Detroit for a little while. Just, you know, it's, it's insane. There's, um, um, sorry, there's a yeah. movie now. I can't remember what it's called. And Albert Finney is in it and they have, it's basically like it's basically a kind of a werewolf in the in New York City movie, but there's parts of it where I think it's the Bronx, mm-hmm. where it's just people, maybe like kids, whatever, playing in like their vacant lots yeah. that are filled with just burned out debris. Wolfen. 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 That's exactly Good right. Job. It's kind of a kooky, it's supposed to be scary, goofy movie, but you can see all that where it's like yeah. now New York City is pristine and amazing and of course like the real estate is like once Giuliani took over and made it fucking Disneyland but there's also photo not that I think that it's better when it was dangerous but there's photographs you can go there's a couple great um, photo uh, what are they slideshows of New York in the 70s and 80s and I mean just the subways alone are terrifying yeah and uh, yeah and they had kids playing on like mattresses and vacant burned out it's just it's fucking crazy and especially I think younger people who'd never saw that should go and look those photos because you'd be you'd be very surprised yeah that's where Um, all that punk rock came from yeah Yeah. so it was mostly in black and latino neighborhoods that this burning down was doing uh let's see so both unemployment rates and crime rates rates were at an all-time high and because of the bankruptcy coming up police and firefighters had been laid off municipal services were cut including sanitation and after school programs were totally cut so these kids who had working parents had nowhere to go after school so they were you know on their own in this insane city um and during this time son of sam was on the loose yeah so people were fucking terrified of that as well um And then there was the blackout of 79 and there's a fucking great American experience called the blackout and I fucking everyone should watch it. It's so good and it shows what it was like at that time. And after that, there were these crazy fires and looting and it never really got cleaned up. So you have abandoned buildings, you have all this stuff. Um, So then in the early 80s, Wall Street suddenly boomed created crazy wealth for people i mean the wealth they had compared to what normal people had even was insane um and then the other side of the city is experiencing crazy poverty the crack epidemic starts crazy violence that's fed by an understaffed a lot of times racist and corrupt police department that is you know horrible and there's class tensions and racial unrest 
in about 84, crack came to New York and that just increased the crime. The crack wars came. So also giving really young kids access to a lot of money and weapons. Mm -hmm. So you just have these young kids and teenagers, you know, with... Uh, yeah, all hell breaks loose. That's that was like the way to get a job, yeah, and, and to get out of of the hood. Totally, basically, yeah. was and for some of them, it was the only way. Yeah, I always uh, there's an amazing movie called Fresh. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I've never seen it. It's really good. We'll it's do not a double feature 80, with this other movie <laughs> with the Andy Williams Christmas special. Um, it's such. <laughs> it's about. Uh, a black kid who's trying to figure out a way to get out of the bad neighborhood yeah. and the bad situation he's in. And it is so brilliantly written and brilliantly shot. And it's, I, it's one of my favorite movies. Let's, I definitely want to watch that. Yeah. We need a fucking, we, I need, and I'm sure other people want, it's just a lineup of movies you suggest. Because it's never me. It's, oh, I think I suggest documentaries like Ken Burns. And you're like, here's this movie that'll change your life. And I'm like, I've never seen it. So we're going to need someone to make a list of those movies. We're going to need someone with a mustache to write that down. If only we had. Oh, shit. I owe you money. Um, I owe you a paycheck. I forgot. I didn't forget. Oh, Steven, I'm sorry. Um, so, crack came, hell breaks loose. All right, on a typical day in 1989, which is where the story takes place, New Yorkers reported not one day, nine rapes, five murders, 255 robberies, and 195, 94 aggravated assaults. Shit, yeah. and that's later in the 80s. 89. God, yeah. okay. So... Da 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 da. So the people who are experiencing this, of course, are the poor working class families. Um, they're falling through the cracks. La, da, 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 brown and Latino, black and Latino communities in mostly Bedford Stuy in um, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. Harlem, Brownsville, East New York. These neighborhoods are experiencing all of this, and then you have the Upper East Side of fucking rich as shit people. All right. For example, and then I'll get on to the story. In 1984, Bernard Getz, he was a 37-year-old Queens native, white dude, nerdy white dude. He's on the subway, and he starts getting uh, accosted by four young black men. They tried to mug him, and he takes out a gun and shoots all four of them. They all survived, but he became known as a fucking subway vigilante. People celebrated him. Right. Uh, And he was ultimately found not guilty on all charges except for possession of an illegal firearm and sentenced to one year in prison for shooting four people. Yes. Um, So, all right. So that's also, sorry, but that's also the time that they started doing Guardian Angels. Yes. Where they were, it, it was almost like people didn't believe anyone was going to help them with crime. Uh, and like the Bernard Getz thing was such a racially kind of motivated situation, but also it's just the, these, everybody, it's the irony of like yeah. what you just said was the people that were in the worst neighborhoods, which were, uh, demographically minorities and people of color mm-hmm. were actually getting the worst of this crime, yeah. but then it's like the white vigilante that starts shooting everybody. Right. Oh, you know it's what I mean? not like, yeah, you don't go to these neighborhoods and every, you know, there's work. These are working class people. I mean, yeah. they're working their asses off and they're not going to be able to move into other neighborhoods. There's so much racism. There's kind of this race where between white people and people of color, but it's, you know, it's not everyone who's, they're being affected more so. Right by this so okay so we'll get into this let's get into the central park five and the east side oh shit dude yeah all right i'm going there 
You sound all right like you're not. No, I mean, this is just one of the heaviest. The thing that I remember most about this case is how... Go, you know what? Go ahead. Tell me. No, no, no. Okay. It's just, it was such a big deal. And this was like when I was in high school. Yeah, so I, I didn't remember know. this. I was t- maybe 10. So I didn't. My mom kept that away from me. So you'll have to jump in at any time and yeah, yeah. tell me stuff. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> the night of Wednesday, April 19th, 1989, around 9 p.m., approximately 30, 30, God, I'm burping, sorry, 30 teenagers who lived in East Harlem went into the northmost part of Central Park and they proceeded to commit several attacks, assaults, and robberies. Can you imagine 30 teenagers? I don't care what what fucking nationality or color they are, I would run. No, no, teenagers are bad. Teenagers are bad people. Teenagers are horrible. Also, two teenagers are fine. Yeah. 30 teenagers? 30. The volume alone. Yeah. Um, I don't care if they're women, girls, I fucking run. I think girls are worse. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Were the, do we know for a fact that they were committing those crimes or was that, that, was that like a fact? Well, I can, yeah, I have a list of. Great, great. Crimes they were actually committing. Okay. So I don't, yeah, it's hard because you want to see every everyone is innocent, but they, you know, and it was 30, so who knows how many of them are actually doing it, right? Right. So they attacked several bicyclists, threw rocks at a cab, and attacked a man who was, who they assaulted, robbed, and left unconscious. A school teacher out for a run was severely beaten. They attacked another jogger, hitting him in the back of the head with a pipe and a stick, and they beat two men unconscious, hitting them with a metal pipe, stones, and punches, and kicking them in the head. Wow. So they definitely, there was a group of these 30 kids. And they were basically kind of wilding throughout the park. Well, that's the word that was created later. Okay. Yes. So a chase ensued by the police and around 10:15, a handful of the kids are taken into custody, including Kevin Richardson and Raymond Santana. And they're both 14 years old. Oh. So these are young kids um, and they're charged with quote mischief. So cut to 1:30 in the morning, passerbys discover the unconscious body of Trisha Miley, Um, in a shallow ravine in a wooded area of the park, wearing only her bra. Trisha had gone for a run on her usual path in Central Park before 9 a.m., I mean, sorry, 9 p.m. that evening, when her, and then when her almost lifeless body was found about four hours later, she had been knocked down, dragged or chased 300 feet, and violently assaulted. She was stabbed five times, raped, sodomized, and beaten almost to death. The first policeman who saw her said she was beaten as badly as anybody I've ever seen. Uh, Meanwhile, back at the police station, the kids were about to be released from custody when a police officer was told about Trisha being found. And then what followed was hours of intense interrogation using tactics to get them to wear them down. As now we know, that's how you get a confession, whether it's legitimate or not. Um, exhaust them. They, uh, they get no food, no drink, no sleep for almost two days. Oh, wow. It takes. And they're repeatedly told that they could go home once they confessed. Um, and then eventually, after like two days, the boys turn against each other. They tell them, they admit just to, you know, go home. And these are 14, yeah. 15 year old children um, that that aren't bad kids. They So there's this documentary by Ken Burns um, and his and his daughter. And it's this incredible documentary that I definitely think everyone should watch called the um, Central Park Five. And they talk about the kids' backgrounds and they're all good kids from good homes. None of them had ever, ever been um, arrested or taken in before. You know, they were Little League baseball players. These were not bad children. Yeah. So 
They, also, when there's a group of 30, yeah. how do they know who threw what rock? Who threw, like, what? Basically, it's the slowest kids get arrested. Well, or the, this, yeah. Go ahead. The thing is, later, uh, none of the people who had been attacked that night, aside from Trisha, were able to identify any of the boys who got uh, who were brought in mm-hmm. for this attack. So they probably didn't have anything to do with it. Otherwise, they would have been identified. Yeah. Um, so the, they implicate each other in the assault. The boys begin to confess after two days. I already said that. So in their written statements and videotaped confessions, each confessed to being an accomplice to the rape, although not participating in the rape itself. And they start telling details of what happened and how. Um, and then they implicate three other boys in the attack, and they're picked up for question. And Anton McRae, who's 15, Yosef, Yusuf Salam, who's 15, and Corey Wives, who's 16. And they, they ultimately all confess, except for Yusuf Salam, along with, and then along with the other two boys, the five of them are arrested and charged with the attack. Um, the media fucking loses its shit, which is such a big part of the story, right? And probably how you heard about all of this is it was huge news. Um, and the story kind of confirmed, you know, the white New Yorkers image of what's wrong with the city and confirms their racial, racial prejudices. Mm-hmm. Um, the boys, when they confessed, were calling it that they were wilding, which is a phrase that became huge and everyone used it. And uh, it was kind of this reference to them all being these untamed you know, children running amok. They formed, quote, a wolf pack, which is also was what they made up. Um, Wait, so sorry, those were the boys' words? Yeah. Like, that's what they were telling the police. Wilding, okay. yes. They called it wilding, okay. which they made up. Um, and then the underage suspects' names were printed, despite the fact that the names of criminal suspects under the age of 16 are supposed to be withheld from the media and the public. They also print the, so they print the names, photos, and addresses no fucking way. Of the juvenile suspects before any of them had been formally arraigned or indicted. Wow. Yeah. Who did it? What d- oh, was it that? I just think that at that point, it was so many of them. But it's the, basically the New York Daily News or New York Post or yeah. one of those. It's the it's the tabloid. Yeah, the tabloid. Right. Yeah. Seeds. Seeds? Seedy. None of them were arrested. Um and they retracted their statement within weeks, claiming that they had been intimidated, lied to, and coerced into making false confessions. Um, and the confessions themselves were videotaped after they had been interrogated and confessed and written statements. That part wasn't taped at all. So they had no way to, to show that they were being fed information and coerced. So they only taped the part where they said, I did it, or they, someone else did it. They only taped the part after all this when they had their stories down. Okay. And they knew the details they were supposed to be talking about. Didn't tape any of the part where they make them tell the story 500 times. Right. Or, you know, you've seen these things where they say, is that what happened? That's not what happened. Right. Tell me the truth. And they kind of feed it in this really creepy way. They lead them into the the correct story. Right. And who knows if they even do it. Do the cops do it on purpose? Do you think the detectives? I just don't think they even know. I mean, I most part. It seems like for a long time it was just the way things were done until people lawyers and whoever you know rights activists came back and were just like you can't tell them how it went and then when they repeat that back to you because they want a sip of water or they want to go home yeah. use it against them well it's the whole thing too of like that shouldn't be admissible the, the confession videotape should not be admissible in court because there's no background right as to okay it's like apropos of nothing right. essentially yeah 
Okay, so meanwhile, Trisha's injuries are so bad that she's given last rites. Like, they think she's going to die. Um, but after being comatose for 12 days, she survives and was eventually able to talk, read, and walk. But she had no memory of the night of the assault whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So now the trial... Uh, and so, so usually the, de- the homicide detective... Usually they look in... Okay. Instead of the homicide unit getting put on the case because they thought she was going to die, Linda Fairstein of the sex head of the sex crimes unit and her prosecutor, Elizabeth Letterer, were put on the case. And for some fucking reason, they're part of the police investigation from day one. So they're helping investigate this case, thinking that these five kids did it and building the case around that. So they get to analyze the crime scene. They get to do all of these things that that clearly are going to lead the case for the prosecutors, you know? And, but they were supposed to be def- the defense? No, they're the prosecutors. Right. They're the, the sex crimes unit and their prosecutors, and they are investigating the case from the minute it happened. Okay. And that's not normal? No, because this way they can skew the results in the direction they want, which is immediately for these five boys. Okay. So they're, you know, usually the prosecutors and the defense team and the attorneys wouldn't get the information until after the whole investigation has been completed by the detectives okay, or the sex, it. the sex crimes unit, which is this woman who allowed her prosecutor to be in on. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Got it. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So the boys are brought to trial. 16 year old Corey Wise is being tried as an adult for some reason because he's 16. Um, and the newspapers are going nuts. The case of a white woman being attacked by a rowdy group of black teens um, stirring up the racism in the city, which kind of was this underlying thing that no one was talking about. But finally, they had something to point at. And yeah, like this is it was the equal opposite of the Bernie Getz situation. Yeah, it was it was basically. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of um, retribution. Right. The idea of retribution. Yeah. And piling it all very conveniently on yeah, these five boys. Yeah. Um, so, f- for example, the night of the Central Park rape, a woman in Bedford, Sty, was raped and thrown off a building. Never fucking talked about in the media. And that same week that this happened, 28 rapes were reported. Mm. But this, those were not being reported by the media. But the black community even turned against the boys as well, because some of them, because they were having their own run-ins with the black youths who insulted and intimidated those people in their own neighborhood, and they felt that they were giving the whole community a reputation as, you know, drug dealers and felons. Right. So even the, you know, the black community was fucking pissed about them. Oh, and good old Trump puts out a full-page ad in four newspapers calling for the death penalty to be reinstated in New York. Even though the death penalty wasn't even on the table for this, he just... Puts and his, at the time, he was a, he was a slumlord. And, and a very wealthy one. A very wealthy slumlord. A very wealthy businessman. Yeah. Who made money off of basically being a slumlord. Yeah. Oh, and casinos. Yes. Maybe. Hmm. Okay, and then the City Sun newspaper and the Amsterdam Amsterdam News used a victim's name in their paper, despite the media policy of not publicly identifying victims of sex crimes. Yeah. So they gave out her name, even though they weren't supposed to. And they said it's because, well, if ever other people are willing to put out the boys' names, then she should have her name out, too, which is, like, so fucked up. Well, that doesn't... No. That's not a one-to-one thing at all. It is not. But it sounds like this was the Wild West, essentially. Yeah. This sounds like the worst. 89, man. The 80s. 
just this like yeah wild west so the analysis was done on the dna that was collected at the crime scene and it didn't match a single one of the suspects they also didn't have any hair any any evidence and the crime scene looked like it didn't look like five people could have been attacking someone it looked like a single person was attacking someone there was like this small little path that was um walked up and taken uh, Trisha away from the, the main road, but there wasn't, you know, beat up dirt or anything like that. So it was like she was down in a ravine and there was like one track down to her body and back up. Yes. Not like five people walked down. Right. And when the boys got in there, they didn't have any mud or dirt on them. And the other thing is, if she were fighting back, which they said, the cops said that she put up a hell of a fight, they would all have scratches and crazy things on them. One kid had, one of them had a scratch on his eye, but that's it. Right. Um, so the, the DNA collected. And so when the DNA was collected and didn't match, the prosecutors just said that they must have been, there must have been a sixth one of them then that the DNA matches and still brought them to trial um, with huh. a case that was almost entirely based on the confession, circumstantial. So, okay. So the, the, the four boys, Kevin, Yusuf, Anton, um, and Raymond are convicted of rape, assault, robbery, and riot in the attacks. Um, they were 15 years old and 14, so they got maximum sentence for juveniles, which is 5 to 10, but Corey Wise is 16 and tried as an adult, so he gets 5 to 15 in fucking Rikers, oh. which is like a hardcore prison, and going in as a rapist, especially against a white woman where there's a lot of Aryan people in the prison right. is ugly. All right. Well, the summer that the attack on Trisha occurred, there's a serial rapist terrorizing the Upper East Side called the um, East Side Rapist. Okay. I just got a weird chill. Did you remember I this? Have, no, I've never heard of this before. Yeah. Like, so you know that story, but you don't know I the know end that of it. story very well. All I know is that the mentality at the time was they caught some. It, this was the mentality. They caught some of them and they're going to jail. Like, like good and everyone yeah everyone rejoiced everyone was was abs was absolutely and i feel like in general unquestionably swallowing the story that was being fed yeah um everyone i mean they wanted it to be solved and it was a perfect backdrop and proof of what was going on and what they'd been saying was going on and what they were mad about and something to say this is why i feel this way Yes. about you know this is why my racism is justified exactly right and and to say as if this is the only these are the only um people that are uh, breaking the law yeah in, in new york city yeah that this and that uh, to me is the that's the thing i feel like all the way up to and obviously past until very recently but like around the oj trial where it's this idea of you don't just get to say who is who is innocent and who is guilty mm -hmm. but like you don't just get to pull people through the the legal system and yeah. just be like there the problem is solved because right. if you have if it's a setup which many of them have been you still have somebody that's guilty out there doing it totally and who knows what color that person is yeah. but you've now not solved the problem ruined people's lives supported racial stereotypes not told an accurate story so but the, this is how the story ended in 2002 okay so the summer that the attack happened a serial rapist named the east side rapist is fucking terrorizing everyone august 5th 1989 
17 year old Matias Reyes is caught after raping uh, another victim. He's the East Side rapist. East up uh, the East Side rapist. Um, he. So the the woman who was raped noted to detectives that she saw fresh fresh stitches on his chin, and it was right after the attack on Trisha. So he ultimately con- confessed to one murder, five rapes, two attempted rapes, and the rape and murder. The the murder was uh, Lord Lourdes Gonzalez. And she was pregnant, and oh. her three children heard through the bedroom oh, what happened no. to her. So, so August 5th, you've got this guy getting caught for rape and, and, and saying that he murdered people. And then on April, and in April, a couple of months before that, this rape of Trisha happened, this yeah. attack. Um, let's see. So after being in prison, he's in prison for more than a decade for the murder. In 2002, he finds God, Reyes finds God, comes forward and says that he is the attacker of Trisha. He did it. So he then goes on to detail uh, how he followed, raped, brutally beat her with and then details that the five, the, the Central Park Five, never got right. They never Ugh. even had similar stories of what happened. They were all different. And he just tells exactly how it really went. From where he threw the socks to where he threw the keys and why. Because he was mad that she wouldn't give him her address so he could break into her house. So he threw the keys. And they had always wondered what the deal with the keys were. what Exactly what she was wearing. That she had a Walkman that was stolen. And they never they weren't sure if there was a Walkman involved. She, he, all her friends said she always ran with a Walkman, and he said it too. Yeah, Fuck. which it wasn't even at the scene. So the fact that they, he knew about it meant, you know, he was there. He definitely fucking did it. Yeah, and the DNA is then tested, and uh, it's his DNA. Oh man. Yeah. Um. So let's see, the detective who his who gave him who gave the statement. Who he took the statement said Matias Reyes is one of the top five lunatics he's interviewed in more than 20 years investigating homicides the five boys had already been released from prison they're adults now um, but they were struggling because they were now sex offenders on the sex offenders uh, registry and Raymond Santana was still in jail because he had a drug charge he took to selling drugs because he couldn't get a job with a sex offender uh, on his as a sex offender yeah um, but his sentencing because of that drug charge, because of his prior conviction was longer. So he was still in prison based on his prior conviction. So he's released. And then in 2002, Manhattan District Attorney Robert Morgenthau threw out the convictions in the Central Park jogger case. The five are exonerated. And in 2014, New York City paid them $41 million oh, as a settlement. Really? Yeah. Are you crying? Yeah. Yeah. 41 million. Fuck. That's like, we fucked up so hard. Yeah. Ugh. So the prosecutors, the, the woman who was the prosecutor, the sex offender uh, unit head, uh, refuses to admit that they were wrong. She's now a teacher at some big college and they're like starting a petition to get her kicked out because she uses this case as one of the highlights of her <gasps> career oh no yeah so she can't say it's true she right. says maybe they maybe that there were six of them still sticks to that story and doesn't acknowledge the hard evidence of the lunatic no rapist no 
who admitted he did it. Why would you admit you did something and did it alone? And then no, and then actually have the hard evidence and know the details. I like, mean, that's very difficult to deny. Right. Yes. Um, and then, so the police detectives, a lot of them won't admit that they were wrong. And of course, Trump refuses to admit. He says, <laughs> look at the confession. So he's still stuck on this confession, which as we know now, so many confessions are coerced easily. Right. Especially out of children. Totally. Um, as for the victim, so uh, Trisha had five months of re- rehabilitation. She returned and then she returned to running in Central Park. Uh, in 95, she ran the New York City Marathon. And in 2003, so she had been anonymous up until then. Uh, and in 2003, she comes out uh, and with a published, publishes a memoir called uh, I Am the Central Park Jogger. So I remember that. Fine, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I, I want to know what she thinks about all of the, the, you know, thinking that these five boys were the, her attackers for so long and then having to switch her brain completely. It's just so scary. And I feel I feel so much for her just based on that. Um, and now she then she began a career as an inspirational speaker. She works with victims of sexual assault and brain injury in the Mount Sinai Sexual Assault and Violence Intervention Group. Um so that's the Central Park Five and the East Side Rapist. Wow. Huge. I know. That's such a huge story. Did I tackle that okay? Did I give it justice? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is, I feel like, especially in this day and age, it's so difficult to talk. The first thing I thought of while we were talking about this is, I remember one time, a long time ago, we were talking about something and the the way we intimated it, it made it sound like what we were saying is all people of color live in the ghetto. Right. And we got a lot, a lot of people who wanted to talk to us about that, where that is in no way what we meant, but it was like the wording of how it sounded. And so yeah. I would just point that out that, you know, like this isn't the assumption that because you are of color, you live in the worst part of the Bronx. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that because you're of color, you go wilding. Like right. none of, none of what we're talking about is to say every single person uh, was living only this one way in New York in that time. I'm well, sure there was tons of, uh, you know, upwardly mobile black yeah. people and people, Hispanic people and people of color that lived on the Upper West Side. Yeah. So it's not... It, it's not that, but I think that the law, the lines were absolutely drawn because back then the white, like it was basically white men ran most media and white men were the cops usually for the majority, I would say. And so that was the, that was the story that we were always given. And that's the, that was the story people were reacting to. And that's what we're talking about. Well, it's just so hard because for this, with this podcast, like, you know, I don't want to do the thing that so many people talk about is that like blonde white women, that's all the stories we cover, which I don't think we do, but uh, you know, I want to give, I want to tell them the stories because I want to represent as many people as we can and as many victims as we can, which I totally think these boys are victims in this story. But, you know, it's hard as a white woman. I want, I try to empathize, but I'll never, I know I'll never understand completely right. what's going on. So, right. you know, like the Mitrice Richardson case, I just really wanted to to yeah i just want to make sure that we're covering them but i know it's never going to be perfect definitely 
So it's a bit of a risk to even talk about them because everything is very loaded these days. And I think people, it makes people feel better if you make, if you misspeak about something, it makes people feel better to tell you how wrong you are. It makes, it makes it feel like that's, that's making a difference, which it definitely is. I mean, in, in some ways, but, but I guess our hesitation is when you put stuff like that out there, it's easy to say something incorrectly or sound insensitive or make it sound like you're making a generalization. Right. I don't, I don't want to do that. I tried very hard not to, um, but please email us. We're always open to you know hear your story or have your corrections and (laughs) they know that I know Um, (laughs) I mean Jesus that's the one thing we do get I think but I think what's better than not not covering it because it's too loaded is just not talking about it at all and so I think that's important as well to talk about it yes yes especially for people who have a podcast you know who are talking specifically about murder and podcast in a podcast it's like we can't just cover the easy ones. Well, and also the ones that have been covered because yeah. that's, that you're exactly right. That's the thing of it's the blonde cheerleader. When the blonde cheerleader goes missing, everybody freaks out because the society that's built up around us is basically said, well, that's what makes the money. Yeah. That's what sells the newspapers. There's a lot of like very convenient rationale mm-hmm. that uh, goes into why we talk about some murders and crimes and why we don't talk about others. Yeah. I think that example of like a woman who was raped and then thrown off a building on the very same night and no one has heard of that story that's I think that's very kind of symbolic and I think it's that thing of like it's just good it's good to start trying to open your eyes I think it's a hard thing for some people to do it it, there's some people that'll never be able to do it but if you can try I think it's important I think it is going to help our society needs this kind of help very yeah, badly. Definitely. To come together and to be like, I get it. Nobody's, nobody's, uh, you know, horror is worse than another person's yeah. horror. And then for you and I to, um, to kind of, to, to kind of open the, the conversation up because we're two white women and that it's not, you know, that we're trying to understand what's going on in other people's worlds and no take that out (laughs) (laughs) that sucked no I had it and then it was gone okay all right so something positive yes that's how we end this so everyone doesn't get bummed Uh, do you want to go first no you go first okay Uh, the good thing that happened to me I you know I said I went last week to a new psychiatrist the fucking change in medications already working oh really I am it just makes me so hopeful when I wake up in the morning and I'm not exhausted all day, you know, and I'm sleeping at night without any pills. It's just like, it makes me really hopeful. Oh, good. So I'm really, you know, I had two days of not exhaustion and I was just so happy about it. That's great. Yeah. What's yours? My friend, I have a friend, my friend Kevin Farzad has a band called Sure Sure and they have new music coming out. They're 
truly one of my favorite bands. <gasps> it's like the kind of music you can put on. Like, I just feel so stressed out mm-hmm. lately. And I think a lot of people have been. Um, it's the kind of music that's like super catchy and great, but it's not like invasive. Mm-hmm. I can't explain it. It's just very good. I totally recommend it. I think they're coming out with a new album soon, um, but uh, I will be t- retweeting their music. I'm just a big believer in Sure Sure, the band. I love and, it. Uh, so I think everyone should listen to them. That's a good one. Yeah. Music is such an important part of, you know. The human existence. The human experience. And life and happiness. <clears throat> well, thank you guys for listening. Where is Elvis? We'll uh, thank you guys for listening. You we've done me. it again. Oh, oh, I forgot to mention. Also, we have new merch. I totally forgot about that. We have a fuck. We have a here's a thing. Fuck everyone shirt. And it's got an adorable little drawing of Terry Joe Dupereau, I believe is how her last name is uh, pronounced. She's the 12 year old girl that got stuck on a raft after the captain of her family's boat murdered her whole family and the boat sank. It's in like episode. 18 or 28 28, I think Um, and our friend Kat Solon on her own accord just drew the based on the photo of her in this little raft before she got saved and we were like after that episode we were like everything's the worst and everything sucks so we were like here's the thing fuck everyone but she's totally a survivor and so Right. So go buy those shirts. Yep. <laughs> those are on myfavoritemurdershirts.com. Yeah. And there's like mugs and hats and things. And yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, all right. Stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Um, bye. bye. Elvis. Elvis. Cookie boy. Cookie. <laughs> Elvis. Oh, oh, oh. Want cookie? Come here. He's coming. Elvis. Want cookie? Come here. <laughs> There he comes. Oh, I should have videoed that. <laughs> Want a cookie? <laughs>